Well, hey, church. Wow. You know, I always love to share with our church, and so I'm excited to get to do that tonight. But I tell you, singing that song, it's like such a setup from the Holy Spirit for the word he has for us tonight. And I just stood down there worshiping and just so excited about what I know he's going to bring into our hearts tonight as we've just made that declaration that only he can satisfy. If we come to the world, we're just going to have to come again and again. But let me not let get ahead of myself here. Let me just get into this message. You know, as we have been in a series this summer about people in the Bible who really are minor characters, and yet they have major impact on our life if we will take the time to look. They have major truths to teach us, and we're taking the time to look. And we're gonna do that and continue to do that tonight. We're gonna look at a woman tonight who's probably a little bit more familiar to us than some of the ones that we've seen in this series. And it's because her story is in the midst of a story that's pretty familiar. But the reality is we don't get a whole lot of details about her in the Bible. In fact, we don't even get her name. And so most of us through the years, if we're familiar with her, we've called her the woman at the well. And we're gonna look at a few things that the Bible does tell us about her tonight and walk through some things. I just know the Holy Spirit has a good word, so I hope that you are ready for it. We find her story in God's word in the midst of um, John chapter four, so I wanna encourage you to turn there. And as you do, I wanna just review some details with you that we find about her story there in John chapter four. I know probably a lot of you have read this story and you've heard sermons on it, so um, we're, we're just going to stay here for just a minute and review some of those things. When we get in John chapter 4, we find that Jesus is on his way to Galilee, and he's going to have to go through Samaria um, to get there. And, you know, it's interesting that he chooses to go through Samaria because most Jews at that time would have gone the long way around, even if it took longer, because there was such a racial tension in the culture of that day between Jews and Samaritans. But that didn't bother Jesus. Jesus didn't get into all of that mess into that. He just went right into Samaria. And he went there on purpose. In fact, it seems as scripture suggests that he went there on purpose and he positioned himself at this well because he wanted to have a conversation with this Samaritan woman who he knew was gonna show up at the well. And sure enough, she does. If you look right in verse seven in your Bibles, it says there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus knew she would be there, right? And so Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, her reply that we find in verse 9 is kind of like a sarcastic question to Jesus, and it really reflected the cultural tension of the day that was there between Jews and Samaritans. And if I can just kind of paraphrase it for us and put it in my own words and tone, it would have sounded something like this from her lips. She would have said something like, well, what's up with this? You're a Jew, and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Real sarcastic like that. But see, Jesus, again, doesn't get into all of that. He doesn't let that deter him. In verse 10, he just puts it out there to her. And he says, if you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
And we find as we read through this that back and forth they go in this conversation until basically Jesus just tells her, look, I have living water that can fill you up forever. Read with me in verse 13 and 14. It says, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And church, that's where the conversation turns. It turns from talking about getting water into a bucket from a well to the living water of life that only Jesus can provide for the thirsty places in our lives. And as we keep reading through this conversation, what we see is that Jesus puts his finger on the most parched and thirsty place in this woman's life. He brings up her relationships. And that's not an area where she's had a lot of success, it sounds like. And he touches this place in her that is so empty and thirsty. And it definitely gets her attention. And you know, many of us know exactly what that feels like, right? We know what it's like when Jesus touches a place in us that is empty, that we have been trying to fill in all the wrong ways. And as we continue reading, what we find is this this conversation continues until finally Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to this woman. And once he does that, everything changes for her. It changes her life. In fact, the Bible tells us this in verse 28, if you want to read with me. It says, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all that I've ever done. And really, church, that's all we get. That little bit, that minor detail, those minor details that leave us with a lot more questions. The only other thing we get is if we go down to verse 39, we find it says, and from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have ever done. Now, I don't know about you, but I like stories, I love stories. And I love the nitty gritty details of stories. But I get really frustrated if the details are not there. So I can tell you that for years, even though I've heard lots of sermons on this passage, and probably you have too, I've even preached sermons on this passage, but for years, this passage of scripture frustrated me because I wanted to know more details. I wanted to know more details. So you can imagine how I felt one day several years ago. I was having lunch with this woman that I was just getting to know. Her name was Lisa. And I, we were having conversation and I mentioned something about the woman at the well. And Lisa looked at me and she said, you do know she had a name, right? And I was like, well, yeah, she had a name, but nobody knows what it was. That's why we call her the woman at the well. And she said, I know what it was. And I looked at her and I was like, no, you don't. And she must have seen, you know, I I tried not to say it in a sarcastic way, but I must have said it that way because in my mind, I'm thinking, you don't know her name. But she went on to explain to me how she did know her name, and her name was Fotini. Now, once she told me that, I had a lot of questions, a whole lot of questions. The first one being, is what you're telling me really legit? Because that's not in the Bible. 
And I have never heard that before. But she went on to explain some things to me that really just left me with lots more questions and I literally could not wait to get home and do my own research and find out if what she was saying was true. You know that question that happens when people are sitting around and they might say, well, whatever happened to so-and-so? Well, that's kind of where I was with Fotini because I knew a little bit of details here, but I wanted to know what happened after John chapter four, after her encounter with Jesus, after she left her water pot, after that last mention in verse 39 where she told the, you know, the town and a lot of them became believers, what happened to this woman named Fotini? And was that even really her name? I wanted to know. And so I did a lot of research, and tonight I wanna to share with you what I found out, because these details are really going to bring a major truth front and center to all of us about this person who was really just a minor character in scripture. So what we're gonna to do tonight is we're gonna look at the details that I'm gonna share with you first, and then we're gonna get into this major truth. And I know God has a word for everyone who is listening. So first of all, the details. And the first question's probably in your mind like it was mine that day. How do we really know her name is Fotini? Like you're probably looking at me like I was looking at her that day. Well, in the Orthodox Church, they actually have a list of saints of the faith from the early days, like right after Jesus ascended to heaven, people that really had an impact in the world for the gospel. And within this list of saints, there is a woman named Fotini. And Fotini is believed to be the woman at the well. Now we already know the Bible doesn't tell us a lot of details about her, not even her name. But there are other well-respected writings that have been written from biblical times that talk about a lot of these saints and give a lot more details. And Fotini is one of the people that these respected writings speak about. Now, before we go on any further, I want to be really, really clear, because I know some of you are probably thinking this, like I was right at the beginning when I first started looking at it. I wanna be clear that I have a very strong conviction personally that we need to have a very clear distinction between scripture and other books in this world, right? The Bible actually tells us in Psalm 138 verse two that God himself holds his word above his name. So we know how powerful the name of the Lord is. So if God himself holds his word above his name, then what should we be doing with this word, right? That is a very humbling thing to me when I read that scripture in Psalm 138. And so since that time, I have started to put practices and things in my life to make sure, because there is so much information coming at us, especially these days when it's so readily available, that we can begin to muddle God's word with other things. So actually, in this last year, one of the practices that I have put in my life is a declaration about this word that often, almost daily, I say as I spend time in God's word. And it goes something like this. It's, I, I wrote this, and, I, and I, sometimes I'll hold my Bible to my chest or hold it up in the air, or just whatever the Holy Spirit leads me to do that day. But I say, this is my Bible. I believe what it says about God, and I believe what it says about me. I give my time and my attention and my affection to this word because I know it is the life-giving word of God that has the power to renew my mind, transform my life, and set me free to life and blessing. This is my Bible, and I believe that God's gonna speak to me through it. 
And I want you to know that before we go on because I don't want you to think that I am holding these well-respected writings from Bible times in the same you know, um, category as scripture. I am not. There is a vast distinction and we need to be very careful to keep that distinction. But at the same time, if we will look at some of these writings, these well-respected writings by Bible scholars against the backdrop of scripture and to vet them out through scripture, we can really learn some amazing things. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So also I wanna mention, if you wanna read more about Fotini, I've provided a link in the notes that are in our online PDF and you can, you can look at that and, um, and do that later. But one of the things I wanna share with you first about Fotini is that her name was not always Fotini. It's really interesting how she got this name. After Jesus had ascended to heaven, and then later we have Pentecost when the church was literally born, and if you read in the book of Acts how the disciples baptized so many people that day, well, guess who was one of the people that they baptized? It was Fotini. And after they baptized her, they changed her name. They changed her name to Fotini. And that name actually means enlightened one, which makes sense because when Jesus met her, where was she? She was in a really, really dark place. But what did Jesus do? He lit up her soul about herself, but more importantly, light that revealed who he was, the Messiah who could fill up her life, who could fill up all the emptiness in her. So then what did she do with that light after she was baptized into Christ? Well, even before that, we read here in John chapter four that she shared the light with her town, right? I mean, it rings consistent with what we see in verse 39 that she went and told everybody and many in her town became believers in Jesus. But through these writings, we find out that Fotini also shared Jesus with her family. She actually had two sons and she shared Christ with them and they became believers in Jesus. She had five sisters and they did as well. And it's so good to know, you know, whatever happened to Fotini? Well, she shared Jesus with her town and with her family, and they all became believers in Jesus. But you know what, church? That's only the beginning about this woman. See, we know that the disciples and Fotini, they lived during a time of extreme persecution for Christians. And one of the people that was excessively cruel to Christians, and his history proves this, is Nero himself. But see, Fotini had been changed that day that she met Jesus, and the Lord himself, Jesus, filled her with his living water. And just like Jesus had told her, this living water is gonna become a well springing up in you that's never going to run dry. It's a deep, deep well. Well, what we find through her life is that well was really and truly deep enough to deal with somebody even like Nero. We read in these writings that she and her family literally traveled the world and shared the gospel. In fact, her name is revered right along with the apostles in these respected writings. As they went about and did that though, there was continual opposition. There was fire, there was beatings, there was torture, there was poison. But especially in the early days of doing that, the stories tell us that they were basically untouched by that. And that enraged Nero a lot. 
So at one point in these writings, we're told that Nero locked Photini's two sons in prison, but he was trying to manipulate Photini and her five sisters to bow to his gods. It really became a game to him. And so he knew how women were, at least he thought he did. And so he filled this room with these tables full of luxurious clothes and and jewels and coins all over the tables. And he actually put his own daughter, whose name was Dominia, and her hundred servant girls in there to kind of oversee because he knew that once Fotini, who probably was living in rags at the time from all of the different things that they had experienced in their travels and sharing the gospel, once they saw all this stuff that they would be undone, right? They would just have to have it. But as the story goes, Fotini took that moment and she ended up sharing and spilling out the gospel onto Dominia and her hundred servants and they all became Christians that day. Now you can imagine the fury at this happening. And and I'm not going to share the atrocities here of, of, of Nero's fury against them. He did horrific things to them, horrific things. And actually, all of Fotini's family died by his torture of them. But what we find is none of them ever renounced Jesus. And it's fascinating and humbling to read of the life that Fotini lived after John chapter 4. I want to tell you one last thing about her, because she was actually the last one left alive in all of her family. Probably Nero realized that she was the leader. And after torturing her, he locked her up in prison again for 20 days, because he knew if I can just empty her out, she will relent and sacrifice to my gods. So after those 20 days, he brought her to him again and asked if she would relent. He thought he had won. He thought he had drained her dry, but he had not. See, Nero's command was that she worship his gods. But it is written that when Votini came into his presence again and demanded that she sacrifice to his idols, that Votini had no need to do that. And she confidently stood up and told him she would not. See, Nero thought he had won. But he did not win. Even though Fotini had lost everything and was fixing to lose her very life, she was full because there was a well of living water flowing within her. You know what Nero did? He was so enraged that he gave orders to throw her into an empty and dry well. And that is where she surrendered her soul to God in the year 66. Do you see this? 1954 years ago, this woman named Fotini, who had been beaten and tortured for sharing the gospel, had lost everything. She sat at the bottom of an empty and dry well. But you know what, church? She was full. Because years before, Jesus had faithfully crossed the cultural lines to come and meet with her at a well. On purpose, he did that. He sought her out. He favored her. And he offered her the living water of life. And on that day, she opened up her life to him. And she said, you are the Messiah. You are the only one. And then he filled her up with a living water that sprang up within her even until the day that she dies. And you know what? I believe is probably still doing that even up in heaven. 
You know, the details of her story leave us with so much to consider. And not just about her, but really, they leave us to consider a lot of things about ourselves. Because here's what happens when you hear somebody's story like that. It causes you to lay the details of their story alongside your own life and ponder some things. And that can be really, really powerful. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it speaks of that because it says that it's the combination of the blood of Christ, right? His salvation for us that he shed for us. And then the testimony of somebody who has believed in Jesus and how they became an overcomer that actually causes us to overcome as well. And you know, probably in the past, just the details that we had of this minor character story has probably caused some of us to overcome in some ways. I know I've heard multiple sermons over the years and it has moved me into places of overcoming and probably for you as well. But you know what, now even more so as we know these further details. I believe her story tonight can move us, church, from where we are tonight into a place of even greater overcoming, probably in lots and lots of ways, but tonight I believe the Holy Spirit would have us center in on one truth from her life that lands front and center as we look at her story, and I would call this truth fullness. And to really understand what I believe the Lord would have us um, see tonight, we're going to actually go all the way back in Scripture to the very beginning of the Bible, to the second story of the Bible. And it actually has two major characters in it, and those are Adam and Eve. And we're probably pretty familiar with Adam and Eve and the basics of their story. But sometimes I think we miss um, the details that are beneath the surface of that story. And this detail is really, really important and will relate to what we're talking about in regard to fullness. See, the choice of sin that Adam and Eve made left them broken inside with a deep and eternal emptiness in their lives. And scripture teaches that that same brokenness and emptiness of their spirits gets transferred to every person ever born on the face of this planet except for Jesus, because he was not born of Adam, he was born of God. Now, if you have ever heard me teach or preach or talk, you know that I talk about this often, because I believe it is so foundational to understanding our salvation and the experience of our salvation as we walk it out throughout our life. And so I'm not gonna go in and elaborate on all of that tonight. I've actually added some notes online for that as well, or a link to some notes if you wanna look at that. But I do wanna quickly share this just to kinda get us all on the same page. Scripture is very clear that all of us were created with a spirit, with a soul, and with a body. And our spirit is the place that God created within us for his spirit to dwell on the inside of us. But when sin entered the world through the fall of Adam and Eve, it caused the death of our spirit, leaving us broken. We were broken, every person ever born. Broken with a gaping hole on the inside of us, longing to be filled. Because we were never created to live empty of the Spirit of God inside of us. But it's that emptiness on the inside of us that leads us in our lives to stop at this well, and this well, and this well, and this well, and never find what we're really looking for. But we do that because we can't stand that ache of emptiness. It will kill us, right? So we'll do whatever it takes to fill it up. 
And it shouldn't, we shouldn't like it because we were never designed to live with it in the first place. I don't know if you have ever heard that song that starts like this. It's kind of sung by, it's an old folk song and it's sung by a man named Henry and he says, there's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, a hole. And what, what does she look back at Henry and she says, she says, well, fix it, dear Henry. Dear Henry, fix it. And he looks at her and he says, with what shall I fix it? And she looks back at him and she says, with straw, dear Henry, fix it with straw. But he says, the straw's too long. And then she looks back at him and she says, well, cut it, dear Henry. And then he looks back at her and he says, with what shall I cut it? And they go back and forth in this conversation till finally Liza gets to the point where he's, she's telling him, well, get some water in the bucket. And then what does he look back at her and he says, but there's a hole in my bucket. Dear Liza, dear Liza, there's a hole in my bucket. Dear Liza, a hole. Now we've probably sung that song in kindergarten or whatever, but aside from the fact that Henry seems to have um, a common sense problem, you know, that song drives me nuts if you sing it all the way through because I'm like, Henry, just think, think, you know? I, I would wanna smack him if I was really talking to Henry. But aside from all of that, that song, it speaks it's one of those drive you crazy songs, but it speaks a very clear word. It's so telling about the condition that all of us have experienced because we all have a life that's broken, that has a hole in it. All of our lives have been broken by sin and because of that brokenness, we are all then marked with this ache of emptiness. And our emptiness expresses itself in a lot of different ways. I don't express my emptiness like you express yours, but we all express that emptiness. We all feel it. So we go through life with a bucket, stopping at this well and this well and this well, trying to fill it, but it doesn't work because something is broken and something is missing. So we ask and we reach out and we find Eliza and we bug her to death and we think you're gonna be able to fix my emptiness. And maybe it's Eliza or maybe it's a thing or maybe it's a circumstance or whatever, but we end up going round and round and round in circles and ultimately end up right where we started. We're still broken and we're still empty. But here is the truth of fullness. And it's really a two Fold truth, and both parts are very prominent in Fotini's story. First, that hole, that brokenness, can only be fixed by the salvation of Jesus Christ. He saves us from ourselves, right? He saves us from ourselves, from our sin. But secondly, after he does that, he wants that living water within us, the spirit that he puts within us to start flowing in our lives, to be that well of living water within us that never runs dry. And you know what, church? Those two things are not just like little pieces of biblical brain candy for our brains that we kind of chew on while we're at church or when we're thinking about God. Those are spiritual realities that we should be living in every single day, every moment. There's a well of water that never runs dry. Liza cannot fix our brokenness or any other person that we ever ask or seek out to do it. The world, with all of its flair and favor and all the things, does not have a well deep enough to fill the emptiness inside of us. But Jesus, 
The gospel of Jesus Christ, his presence, his work in our lives can fix the brokenness and fill up the emptiness to overflowing. And this truth comes alive as we see the reality of whatever happened to Fotini. Her encounter with Jesus changed everything for her and it marked her. It marked her as a full woman till the very day that she died, interestingly enough, in an empty well. So let's ponder that for a moment. How did this fullness of Christ really mark her? Well, it appears that it marked her identity. I think it marked her in lots of ways, but we're gonna talk tonight about how it marked her identity. See, before she met Jesus, it appears that she was empty of of value. Many have read her story and in scripture in John chapter four and, and seem to believe that she must have come to the well in the heat of the day because she was too ashamed to be around the other women or she didn't wanna have to deal with their, their shameful looks or the conversation or whatever. So she was willing to brave the heat of the day to not have to be with them in the early morning hours when during that time the women would have gone to the well. See, her choices in life had left her marked by shame in her own eyes and in others' eyes as well. But when Jesus met her intentionally and he showed up in the heat of the day and he chose to, uh, and she chose to believe in him, it changed how she saw herself. It changed her identity. Now, I personally believe that there was a whole lot more that went on in this conversation, and I would really like to know those details as well. And one day when I get to heaven, I'm not going to have to walk around heaven going, hey, where's that woman from the well? Are you the woman at the well? Are you the woman at the well? I can just call out for Fotini, right? Because I know her name now. And I can say, girl, we got to talk because I want to know more about this conversation. See, I think there was a whole lot more that went on in this conversation. I would love to to know the details because the encounter that she had with Jesus changed how she interacted with everybody. And I would love to have that experience in my own life. We see it in the way she reacted to her community. She ran right into her community and she told all the men, the men, women were not respected in that day. And we already see that she was married to, or had been married to five men and was living with a man now who wasn't her husband. And she goes in and just confidently tells them of Jesus. We see it in the company of the disciples. If you read here in John chapter four, when Jesus was first talking to her, they're over here in the corner going, why is he talking to her? What's he talking to her about? Because they didn't think that he should be talking number one to a woman and number two to a Samaritan. And yet then on the day of Pentecost, they ended up baptizing her and giving her a new name and she did the work of the gospel with them in many ways it seems. In her family, her identity completely changes. And how many of us know it's hardest of all when you have a change, especially spiritually, to change that identity with your family. But she shared Christ with her sons and with all of her sisters and we do know that sisters don't always get along, right? They all became believers in Jesus. And as we continue to read of her story, we find this new identity of being a filled up woman through Jesus marked her relationships, even her relationships with her enemies. She shared confidently. She shared boldly because she was full. Her heart was wide open with confidence of who she was in Christ. And that never drained out of her because there was a continual flow of that. 
And it appears that most of whom she shared Jesus with came to know him as their savior. Not everybody. We don't read about the man that she was living with accepting Jesus. We don't read about those five men that she was married to. We don't read about Nero accepting Jesus. But it appears that most did. And so you know what else that tells me about her? that her identity became marked with the fruits of Christ. Because the Bible tells us that it is the kindness of God that draws men to repentance. So she changed from being this sarcastic, kind of hard-edged woman to being a woman of kindness and compassion and grace, exuding the gospel and the character and the fruits of Jesus. And they filled out on others, and they drank of that fullness as well. Amazing stuff to consider about her story. But what about our story? And, and, and what about my story, right? See, most of us probably who are joining in on this time, either tonight or maybe watching this even later, you've had an encounter with Jesus too. And if you haven't, my prayer for you is that you will. Today, tonight, right? Because just like Jesus showed up to meet Fotini at that well very intentionally, he knew she was going to be there. He knew you were going to be here tonight or in this moment that you are listening. And he wants to have an encounter with you. So I would encourage you, do not turn away from this moment within Jesus, with Jesus. Let's let Fotini's testimony of a filled up identity speak to all of us, whether we've encountered him in the past or we're just encountering him right now for the first time. See, I don't think that we can examine her story without asking ourselves, ourselves, has my encounter with Jesus marked me with fullness? Am I filled up with worth? Am I filled up with the kindness and the love and the grace of Christ? Am I filled up with the fruits of Christ? Am I filled up with these things and are they spilling out of my life because I have more than enough to go around? Or am I still walking around empty, carrying a bucket, hoping someone or something is going to fill it up? See, the reality is this, church. Many of us who have had an encounter with Jesus, we're still living as if we're empty. The hole in our bucket got fixed. He saved us. But we're still holding out our bucket to the world, waiting for it to be filled. You know, we mentioned earlier that in verse 28 of John chapter 4, that the scripture tells us that the woman left her water pot. And I believe that that detail, because John doesn't give us a lot of details, but that's a very specific detail. And I believe it is a prophetic image for us to ponder, to ask ourselves if we're still carrying around our bucket or not. Are we still, are we living from a place of fullness or are we living from a place of of emptiness. We can look at Fotini's life and see that her identity was first of all marked by brokenness and emptiness, but all that changed. Jesus fixed her and he filled her with a fullness that wouldn't run dry. And that's exactly what Jesus told her would happen with this living water. And that's why it's so important to note that she left her bucket. See, even if your bucket does not have a hole in it anymore, in other words, you've already received Jesus, if you're still looking to someone or something in this world to fill you, you need to know that fullness is still going to be bound by limitations. 
Even if your bucket is fixed, a bucket can only carry so much. And then you're gonna have to come back again and again. You're basically going to go round and round in circles. And that's where so many of us as believers get stuck. We receive that salvation from Jesus, but we're still trying to fill ourselves with something from this world until we arrive in heaven. But what Jesus gives us that's on the inside of us is continual. It's flowing. There's no limitations. It never runs dry. And when we live our lives operating from his fullness, then it gets spilled out on everybody else around us, even those who don't want to receive it. You know, I wish that we had another hour here tonight. You might not, but I wish that we did because I would love to dig in more to what it looks like when we are walking around empty. What does that look like in our lives, right? To get into the nitty gritty of that. What does it look like when we're walking around full? I'd love to get into that more, but we don't have another hour. And so what I wanna encourage you to do tonight is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to look in the mirror of God's word and to Ask yourself if you are operating from a place of fullness or from a place of emptiness. How are you relating to your community? How are you relating to your family and to your friends, to your church, to your enemies, right? That one will get us. How are we relating to our life circumstances, past, present, future, from a place of emptiness, like I don't have enough, or from a place of fullness, like I have everything that I need in Christ, and I have enough to go around. You know, nobody can answer that question honestly but ourselves. And you know, there's a scripture in Psalm 56, Psalm 51, verse six, where God, David is speaking and he says, you desire truth in my inmost being. And see, that scripture gets me because I can let the scripture fall on the surface of my heart, but what about deep down into whether or not the well is running or whether or not it's just sitting idle because I don't let it flow because I'm so intent on finding my fullness elsewhere. You know, I would have to tell you that the first time that I looked in the mirror and I asked that question like that that I just asked of you in light of Fotini's story, it was pretty hard to accept what I saw. And I wanna share with you a little bit about that tonight in hopes that not only will Fotini's testimony help you to overcome tonight, but that my testimony as well will be an encouragement to you right here in this year of 2020, where it just seems like at every turn, life wants to drain us dry, right? See, church, I have become obsessed over the last three years with this truth, and this is what it is. God wants to mark every believer's life with fullness. And I wanna tell you how that happened for me. So it was the summer of 2016, and that's when I had that lunch with my friend Lisa, when she first introduced me to Fotini. And I researched and I studied and I meditated on John chapter four and I even ended up preaching about Fotini at this big Bible study gathering that our ministry was hosting that summer. But what I didn't realize was that in just a few months, I was going to come face to face with my own emptiness in a very challenging way. 
So you fast forward to January as 2017 was just beginning and I had made a plan all through 2016. The board of our ministry, we had decided that it was time for me after 10 years of ministry to take a three month sabbatical. And I was very much looking forward to that. I was tired, I knew I needed to realign some things and refresh and regroup and, and really for the first couple of months it was great and I did do all of those things. But about two months in, something happened. Looking back now, I, I can see clearly that I had been living at such a frenzy pace of life that it took about two months for me to just come down enough to a place where God could really begin to deal in that innermost part of my being in the nitty gritty. I had planned to spend the third month of my sabbatical just really like gearing up and God brought it all the way down and began to work deep. In fact, I believe that he set me up that summer before, that he taught me about Fotini for lots of reasons, and so I could even share tonight, but he taught me for me because he wanted to fill me up in those empty places that have been empty far too long. He wanted me to let go of my bucket. Now, I'm not gonna let go of all the details. It was, or I'm not going to um, share all the details, I mean. It was a, a very hard few months. Basically, I woke up crying every day and I went to bed crying every night. But I can look back now and I can see that Jesus was walking with me to every single one of those wells where I would come up disappointed. And it was through a very, very unique and special prayer time with a trusted sister in Christ that he ended up giving me this very clear vision of his fullness for me and how I can have continual access to it. And I'll tell you, I've only ever shared this one time in a very small setting. It's very precious and personal to me, but I believe that the Lord would have me share it tonight with our church. So in this vision, I was about eight years old. And I knew that as God began to show it to me as we were in this prayer time, because I had long hair, I had these little brown glasses, and I was also wearing my favorite pants that I wore all the time when I was eight years old. See, I was eight years old in the early 70s, and my pants were these um, bell-bottom purple hip hugger jeans with these bright yellow pockets on each hip. And I loved them, and I wore them all the time. And in this vision, I walked into the throne room of God and I was wearing these pants. Only I was too timid and I was too afraid to be in there. And so I walked around to the side of his throne and I got up underneath it right on the big armrest of his throne where he had his hands. And I just kind of was hunkered down there. And God in his loving father way began to just stroke my hair as he put his arm down over that throne. As a little girl, my hair was always a tangly, dry mess, and I was always embarrassed by it. So even that action just really touched my heart that day. I knew that God was doing something, and that something was coming, and my heart began to beat faster. But after a while, God asked me a question, and here's what it was. He said, Sharon, what is in your pockets? Now, at first, I didn't want to show him, because I thought he would probably be be angry, but little by little as I was hunkered down under that armrest of his throne, I would reach into those yellow pockets and I would just set something up there. And we would just talk about it. In this prayer time, in this vision, it was a unique thing. I've never experienced anything else like it, but God was all over it. 
Now, some of the things in my pockets were quite ugly because in this vision, the things that I was pulling out of my pockets really spanned way past when I was eight years old, all through the years of my life. And so there were some sin patterns that were really ugly. There were some broken relationships. There were some bitternesses and some great disappointments. There were also some hopes and dreams all tucked in there. But after I got all my pockets empty, all of a sudden, God just reached his righteous right arm across that armrest of his throne and he just scooped all of it into his lap. And he didn't do it in an angry way. I knew, even though I was down there, that God was doing something so loving and so good for me. And after all of that was gone, he reached over and he just set this gift box right where all that stuff had been sitting. It was the kind of gift box, you know, you don't have to take all the wrapping paper off, you just lift the top of it off. And I knew that God wanted me to reach up there and grab it and, and take the lid off, but I was still a little timid, but finally, I did. I took the top off, and this is what I saw inside. It was a little copper faucet, and it had this red, like, pinwheel, um, you know, twist handle on it. It was just like the one that had been on the side of my house when I was a little girl. You know, we'd be outside playing or working in the garden or doing whatever. It was hot. I'd run over there. I'd turn that red handle. I'd get a drink, and I'd run off and do whatever I was doing. And it looked just like that. And as I took it out of the box and I was kind of perplexed, God just spoke to me and he said, Sharon, this is yours. It always has been. You can turn it on whenever you want. And I knew in that moment that I had access to everything that flowed from the throne of heaven. At any time, as his child, whenever I wanted, I could turn that faucet on and just be filled up with whatever my soul, my spirit, my body would need, that I would never be in lack unless I chose to be. Now, you might not know this about me, probably don't, but I was eight years old when I first encountered Jesus, when I became a Christian. So I don't marvel that in this vision that the Lord gave, all the details of the pants and the hair and those things, and even the faucet, I was eight years old because I know that God was trying to take me back to the very beginning and say, you've always had this. You can't make this stuff up with God. He is so into us. He's so into our stories, into the details. We've always had access to his fullness. But for so many years, I walked around living as if I didn't. Now, you know what? It wasn't that I never brought my bucket to him and said, please fill it up. Oh, I was the girl in church coming down to the front saying, Jesus. But then I'd go home and I'd start holding my bucket out to the world or to my husband or to my kids. And it's not that those relationships are not important and that there's not give and take in those things. It's just that that's not our source. Never can be, never will be. Our source is God himself. If I could just fast forward with you from that vision, I can share with you for, for the last three years, God has been walking me through, learning how to turn that faucet on. He brings that image to mind so many times because how many of us know throughout the day, it doesn't even take 10 minutes being up and the world is trying to drain us dry. But when we know that we have a fountain on the inside of us, of living water that we will get nowhere else, we begin to live different. We begin to live different. 
My testimony is not as dramatic as Fotini's, but I will tell you this, I am on a mission. I want to live as a woman who is filled up with Christ and spilling it out on the world, not holding out to my my bucket to the world saying, what are you gonna give me? But knowing that I have something to give. I don't wanna approach my church, I don't wanna approach my family, my friends, any of it from a place of emptiness. Why would I do that? God has enlightened me now, and He has enlightened us from His Word. We are full. We have fullness in Christ for every moment. Each of us needs to look in the mirror, the mirror of God's Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to show us the truth in the nitty-gritty details of our life. Am I full or am I empty? And the beautiful thing that we can know is if the answer is, I've been living empty, the Lord would say to us, you have a fountain. You can turn it on whenever you want. I wanna leave you with Jesus' words tonight that he wrote in John chapter four, verses 13 and 14. And I would encourage you to read these with me. Speak them over your life. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. And he's pointing at anything that we're trying to fill our lives up with when he says this water. You're gonna thirst again. But he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Oh, Lord God, we hold our hands out to you tonight knowing that you've already put the living water of the Holy Spirit within us springing up. And Lord, I pray that there's a gurgling happening down in our bellies tonight, Lord, as we read this word. I pray that this encounter with you, Lord, that we have become enlightened, just like Fotini. We may not get a name change, but we're gonna get a life change tonight, Lord. We're gonna start to live from a place of fullness because there is life flowing up on the inside of us. We can be satisfied in you. Oh, Lord Jesus, may it be so. May it be so in all the lives of the believers who ever hear this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, we bless you in the name of the Lord. We pray that you will take this word and live in it, chew on it, meditate on it, and see what God would do in your lives. Next week, we're gonna be meeting online again, and we look forward to having you with us again. We'll see you then. Go ahead and participate in the chat too. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.